You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Just kidding. Ha! Well, hey, welcome to Banner Church this morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Good. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> man, that, that second song, that new song, how good was that, right? Was that? Man, I can't tell because I can't see any of you all. So you could just be mean mugging and stone facing the worship team, and I just don't care. So I'm just trying to keep from, like, running around because it just fires me up. It's so good. Any song where we, we really address God's continual work in our life is just so powerful to me because I don't know if you knew this about me, but God is still working in my life. Uh, so I hope you as well are on the journey of God doing a work in your life. Um, it's a great season, but uh, pretty excited. It's been a crazy week. I'm really excited for this next week. Our Love the Block group uh, is going to be handing out over 60 pizzas to the neighborhood just right down here. So we're feeding the whole neighborhood. We went around and told them, like, next week, over 60 pizzas. Um, so not only pray for that, but pray for the little Caesars that we're getting them from. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we're really excited about uh, that opportunity. Um, yeah, like I said, Discover is today. Discover is great. Is Bijan here? Is he in the lobby? He's right there. Bijan, are we, are we eating food at Discover? Yes. Are we playing games at Discover? Yes. Okay. We're going to do lots of cool stuff at Discover, so come to Discover. It's going to be great. But uh, today we're in our series called Angels and Demons, and I have to say, man, uh, he's not here right now. I think he's serving kids or somewhere, but Jamin gave, like, the most amazing introductory message last week. Honestly, so good. Uh, I really want to encourage you to uh, to go back and listen to that. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time convincing you that it's logical to believe in the supernatural because he already did that, and we don't have that much time. But he did an amazing job presenting the truth that it is not illogical to believe in things that are amaterial. Not only is it not illogical, it's also it's also not anti-scientific. It's just a-scientific. It transcends. It goes beyond. It's greater than. And so today. We're going to talk about angels. How many of you have ever been interested or curious about angels in your life or currently are? Okay, good. That's a good percentage. First service, it was like eight. Y'all are going to do much better. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about today, but angels are really interesting because stories of angels exist in every culture around the world since basically the beginning of our human ability to tell stories and to relay information. And every group has tried to understand supernatural beings in the scope of their cultural context. So if you were a tribe uh, that maybe lived in the desert and you were visited by a somewhat angelic or bright creature you, uh, or being, you might attribute that to the sun. And therefore, maybe you got close, but you missed it a little bit and you started worshiping the sun. Not the S-U-N, not S-O-N. S-O-N, you would have nailed it. But... Maybe uh, you're from Roswell, and, uh, and uh, you grew up, and you were con interested about some uh, alien-esque encounters or otherworldly beings, and you thought, you know what? These are the aliens. This is what we're talking about. We're finally talking about aliens in church. You would also be missing it. Um, we're talking specifically about supernatural beings, and really every culture has tried to do something with supernatural beings. And there is really an overwhelming amount of information about angels. I mean, an overwhelming amount. If you do a Google search on angels, I think it's 278 million results will come up. That's five times more than Christianity. That's six times more than astronomy. 278 million. 
Why? Because we're fascinated by angels. We're fascinated. You're like, I don't, really, are we? Yes, we are fascinated with the supernatural. To the point that, like, one of the longest shows forever, it's probably, I think it's done now, but it like, was going to rival The Simpsons there for a while, is a show called Supernatural. I, I don't know if you heard this show, but basically there's these two brothers, and they just kind of, like, leapfrog each other in and out of hell to, like, fight demons and spirits, and then there's this, like, kind of suit and tie-wearing angel that apparently, like, possessed somebody, and now they fight evil with some knife, or I don't know. Um, there's like a million and a half seasons. You can go watch it, or don't. Uh, but as, as humans, we're fascinated by the supernatural. I, I tried to think of movies specifically dealing with angels or fallen angels. Here's what I came up with. You ready? Okay. It's a Wonderful Life. Anyone seen that movie? That's a classic. Heaven Only Knows. Okay. Angels in the Outfield. Anyone seen Angels in the Outfield? You know what I'm talking about. That's a good movie. She's got to stand and hope that the angels can win the pennant. Like, you need, never mind. Um, <laughs> but Dazzled, Heaven Can Wait, Date with an Angel, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Come on, Bill and Ted fans. Preacher's Wife, Michael, Angels in the End Zone. So we have Angels in the Outfield, Angels in the End Zone, City of Angels, Dogma, Angels in the Infield. You can tell what we really are believing the Lord for, right? Angels in the end zone, angels in the infield, angels in the dugout, angels in the backfield. I don't know. Anywhere they can go. Angels in the goalpost. Um, little Nikki. Some of you are like, oh, no. Uh, Gabriel, Legion, Christmas Cupid, Noah, Fallen, Van Helsing, Constantine, Ghost Rider even has it. Twilight Zone, or in TV, right? Highway to Heaven. Uh, what about the TV show Touched by an Angel? You guys remember Touched by an Angel? That was a great show. I think I just dated myself. Uh, Supernatural, like I mentioned, Dominion, Lucifer, Preacher. I mean, there's so many. I haven't even talked about songs that talk about angels, right? Like, we are fascinated culturally by angels, and yet it is considered childish and weird to believe in them, right? It's like they're everywhere. They're in every cultural thing, but they exist in the same sphere as, like, Santa Claus. Like, oh, yeah, you can believe in angels if you're, like, either ignorant or hyper-religious, that's, like, kind of where we've relegated them. It's like everybody has that, like, really, I don't know, maybe not everybody, but a lot of us, we have that really hyper-spiritual aunt. You guys know who I'm talking about? Me and Gianna have her. Nobody else. <laughs> Just me alone on the stage. No one laughing. This is going well. <laughs> uh, I have the hyper-spiritual aunt uh, who, like, sends you Facebook messages like, angels among us, angels are here. Look, next to, next to the president, there was a shining flash of light, and the angels are there with him, and you're like, oh, my gosh, right? And she's like, hey, did you read this thing you sent me? And you're like, oh, man, don't. Be because we make angels really weird and really foreign, and, and, and we push those kind of accounts aside. We, we relegate them to, oh, that's just, that's just odd, and that's just weird, and those are for the hyper-spiritual people. But I think if we were really honest, we would say believing in angels is not for the weird. We have just relegated it because we don't really know that much about them. But angels and the supernatural is everywhere, and it's profound and important. And I do really believe that there are angels near our leaders and near places and in this church here this morning. But we've so lost our understanding. But I think if we're really honest, we'd go like, I'd like to know, are angels real? What, what do they even do? What do they even look like? like? Do they have wings, halos? Are they tiny babies? How many of you have been to an Italian restaurant bathroom recently, right? <laughs> yeah. And you've seen a depiction of angels. You've been to Buca de Beppo's. You know what I'm talking about. 
Like, hey, gotta go check the bathroom. There's a lot of naked angels in there. Girls, you don't know, but it's true. There's so many historic and cultural influences on this very crucial thing, and because they're profoundly supernatural, they can be so easily misinterpreted and misconstrued. So we have, like, so many historical versions of angels. I thought it would be fun today to draw some angels together, but I need your help. Can we do this? Good. Okay. So let's draw an angel, and I just want you to shout it out, because uh, we're going to need to assemble it here, do a little Mr. Potato Head angel vibe. So what, when you think of angels, again, this is not a test. You don't, like, go into a different small group based off your answer or, like, a le different leadership thing, or you don't get kicked off the worship band. Um, but what, when we're going to draw an angel, what's the first thing we need to draw? Wings. Okay, wings. Wings. Look at this. Oh, man, this is much better than second or first service those are the wings okay it's hard to start drawing something with its appendages just in case you're wondering what else does it need now it needs a halo okay this is very abstract okay what else do we need what else do we need come on shout it out let's go a face okay it needs a face and a, dr a, sh a what a, a dress a dress okay like a Christmas yeah okay like that is that right? Yes. It's like we're, like we're going to baptize somebody in Utah. Um, <laughs> but it needs like maybe like a sash. Okay, anything else? Anything else that this angel needs? Anything else? It needs what? Okay, some feet. Cool. Give it some shoes. <laughs> Those are its feet. Um, what is the angel doing? Is it is it doing anything, holding anything? It's Okay, it's flying, so we'll give it some... Okay, it's moving. These are movements. What else is it doing? Anything? Oh, it's glowing. Okay. Good. Do we feel good on this, guys? We feel good on this? Anything else? Anything you were wanting to say something, but you didn't want to be judged? You didn't know you could talk in church? Now's your moment. Uh, anything else? A flaming sword. Alex has been holding that one in since practice. Give it some Dragon Ball Z-esque fire here. We're good to go. This is a good one, guys. Someone who's taking photos? Okay, good. Um, that's a good one. Okay. What if I told you, what if I told you, that in Scripture, most angels don't have wings? I know, devastating news, huh? Gonna have to go into Beppo's and be like, hey guys, I need to tell you something. What if I, what if I actually told you um, that angels are just one kind of spiritual being in the spiritual realm? In fact, how many of you ever seen this description? I'm gonna do my best. I destroyed this in the first service, but it'll happen again. If I were to draw, like, this is like its little arm here, and then like it's crawling, so this is like its feet. That's like its butt, and then, what? This is a baby. This is better. Yeah, thank you. And then it's got to have its little wings, right? That looks like a bat wing. That's fine. Dang it. We lost it, guys. Now it's a butterfly. Um, <laughs> pretend those are feathers, guys. <laughs> yeah, if your baby comes out looking like that, give me a call. <laughs> I'll bring the oil. Um <laughs> But you know the cherubim? You know what I'm talking about? The little, like, cherubs? 
they hang around things. What if I told you they didn't look like tiny babies, right? They didn't look like tiny babies, tiny, tiny baby cherubim. Do you need that, Gianna? This little fat baby? Great. Good. None of my sermon points will be tagged for this whole message. Just bat child. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. What if I told you there's multiple kinds of spiritual beings in this spiritual realm, and in fact, they have all kinds of different roles, they all serve a different purpose, and they're very unique and important. You'd be like, well, why do I need to know that? I think it's important, and the reason I bring our culture understanding up is because I think it's important that we understand the supernatural realm. Why is it important that we understand? Why do a series on angels and demons? Jamin made this look really easy, but this, I don't know if you know, this is a very, very tough series to do. Why? I'm going to give you this. This is the reason for the whole sermon today. God has invited us into a supernatural relationship of which supernatural forces and angelic beings play a part. Angels are part of this amazing supernatural relationship God invites us into. This is what's amazing. Christianity is supernatural. I don't know, did any of you guys go to youth group growing up? Okay, I remember when I was in youth group, and the big thing, because, like, electric guitar and music, and, like, the, it was, like, huge. And so all these, like, really cool worship leaders I looked up to, they get on the TV, and they'd be like, yeah, man, we just want to let, like, people know. They have Australian accents, but I can't do that. That Christianity is cool. And I thought, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Christianity is cool. But when I really step back, I think it's more. See, motorcycles are cool. Christianity is supernatural. Like, it is cool, but it's cooler than cool. If you go get it, if you roll up in a Harley, I'm going to be like, yo, that's cool. Right on. But Christianity is supernatural. It is profoundly greater than anything we have ever known. It's better than just cool. This is not just a cool club. I'm not that cool. We're not that cool. Some of you are really cool. I'm thankful you're here. But it is profoundly supernatural. And so by studying the supernatural, we know more of the relationship we're brought into, and we're more aware of the struggle and the battle that we fight. Let me explain why Ephesians 6.12 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning in the physical, in the natural, in the material, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's an interesting phrase. Spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You're like, wait, I thought heaven was the fluffy cloud babies with the harps dancing around. How can there be evil in heavenly places? It's because of our understanding of heaven. It doesn't mean Heaven in the sense of where God dwells. It's heavenly in the sense of a spiritual realm. Somebody say spiritual realm. There are, there is a spiritual realm. So I want to talk about this this morning. I want to talk about the spiritual realm and spiritual forces. Can we do that this morning? Okay, we can all roll together. This is going to be a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm going to tell you, we're going to preach a message on uh, the fall and sin, and Satan, and the second demonic rebellion, we talk about the divine counsel. If you ever wondered what the Nephilim are in Bible, you're going to make sure you're at that one too. So don't skip church, because I'm not going to go back and explain it. So come to church, or follow the podcast, or watch online. Um, but I want to read you a scripture. I want to talk about the spiritual realm, these heavenly places. Genesis 1, chapter 6. If you brought your Bible, go ahead and just open up Genesis 1 right at the beginning. It says, And God said, 
let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. The Spirit was hovering over the waters. There was chaos in a general sense. He says, and let it separate waters from waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Okay. It's so important, I was just talking with someone uh, between services about this, it's so important that we interpret Scripture based off of who wrote Scripture and what they believed, right? So what in Genesis, the writer of Genesis believed about the world and their perspective. And so the ancient, the Annie, the ancient Near East, the writers understood a separation of two realms. So when they're saying heavens, they don't mean a cloud space above the earth. They mean the supernatural realm. Let me draw you a picture. I like to draw things except for bat babies. Uh, I promise, I promise this will be better. Maybe. Okay. So I want us to think of the natural and the supernatural as, as two realms. So it was one, and then there's a separation. So there is the supernatural, and then there is the natural, two realms. Now, in the ancient understanding, and in the biblical understanding, when they wrote the Bible, the supernatural, that's this one, and the natural, this is where we live, they do overlap in specific places and times. This is what the Garden of Eden was. So I'm going to draw right here a little throne, and I'm going to put a little E on it. This was the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, this was the place where heaven and earth met. It was a high place, a high garden, but it wasn't just like literally high in the sense of its height. It was symbolically, you're with me, symbolically high in the sense that it's where God resided. So when we read about the Garden of Eden, this is where God, he walked. A profoundly supernatural being walked with two naked people in a garden. Are you with me? Okay. So this is the place where the two, where the two meet. And this place is highly, highly symbolic as the high place. So when we talk about the Tower of Babel, this is what they're going to be trying to achieve, which we'll explain uh, a whole other time. But the spiritual realm, this is the spiritual, and this is the natural. Nice. Close enough. Um, is there are hierarchies in both realms. We know there's hierarchies on the earth. There's also hierarchies in the spiritual realm. And so within the spiritual realm, there's multiple kinds of spiritual beings, and they have different functions. Why does that matter? Because it's powerfully important. And if we don't understand them, we just kind of like lump them all together. But isn't understanding amazing? Because the more you begin to open up the reality of the supernatural, the more it reveals the beauty and majesty of God. We make him so flat because we just don't know. But as we begin to examine, it begins to point our attention back. And I loved how Jamin brought up that this is not anti-scientific. Science is important. In fact, some of the greatest founders of science were Christians. The founder of the scientific method was Christian. But this goes beyond something that is material, right? This is like consciousness, personality, understanding, beauty, things like that that, that transcend beyond. This is the supernatural. It supersedes the natural. You still with me? Good. Okay, so who lives here then? Supernatural. Okay, a couple of people. One, there's Elohim. So I'm going to draw another throne. This is like the throne of all thrones. Elohim. Somebody say Elohim. Elohim. You just learned a good Hebrew word for the day. So God is Elohim. 
But Elohim, if you read scripture, also stands for everything within this realm. Elohim are spiritual beings. So if you've ever been typing out a note and you need to do capital G God, that would be capital E Elohim. Everything else in this sphere is lowercase e Elohim. So in scripture, Psalms 82, it says God, capital E Elohim, has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the lowercase Elohim, the gods he holds judgment. That's important because we have kind of flattened out this idea and we've used the term gods, which makes it sound polytheistic, which we are not. It is the Elohim, supernatural beings. Psalm 82, 6 says, I said, you are gods, you are Elohim, lowercase e, sons of the most high, sons of Elohim, big E, all of you. This is important. Jesus is the Elohim of Elohim. See, we as people, we're down here. This is us, born of dust, destined to return, living in rebellion to God, having been cast out of Eden. But Jesus, the perfect man, restores us to that place of Eden, the Elohim of Elohim. Okay, also in here is the divine council, sometimes called, you might see in scripture, the hosts, sometimes uh, called the sons of God. Ever seen that? Be like, what the heck does that mean? The sons of God were set out upon every nation to rule them, and yet God reserved Israel for himself. What does that mean? Also called rulers and authorities. Somebody say divine council. Divine. I'm going to draw them like this. They have little, like, they're very abstract. Thank you for coming to my art show. <laughs> Here they are. This is like, this is their body, so, you know, doing the best I can here. Trying to draw angels on a whiteboard in 30 minutes and describe the completeness of heaven. So, you know, this is what this degree is going to work for. Um, the divine counsel. First uh, Kings 22:19 tells us Micah saw and he said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and the host of heaven, the council of heaven, standing beside him on his right hand and his left. Psalms 82.1 says, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment. Remember, lowercase g. In scripture, we see God, the Elohim, almighty God, all-knowing God, working with the Elohim and walking alongside, and they're actually giving input on decisions. Why would God do that? He doesn't need to do that. Well, because God actually likes working with us. Like, God likes to work in partnership. He doesn't need to, but he likes it. That's why we're here, because he likes to work in partnership. And so when we read, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, when it says the sons of God came down and had children with the daughters of man, we're going to talk about that really unique thing. But this is the divine counsel. Okay, everyone still here say amen. Okay, you're still with me. Okay. Then we have a couple other spiritual beings. We have the cherubim. Somebody say cherubim. Cherubim, cherubim, cherubim. Okay, this is, to the best of my ability, I'm going to nail this one. Oh, yes. Okay, we're already doing better. Here it is. Like a back leg and then maybe like a tail. That looks like my dog. Um, okay, the cherubim are guardians of God's throne. Guardians of God's throne. Genesis 3.24 says, He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword. Okay, this is important. When man sinned, why were they cast out? Is it because God didn't like them? No. It's because by sinning, they put a division. They chose to put a division between themselves and God. And so, alas, here. 
though Christ were sores. So God sends a cherubim to defend the rebellious children from returning to that throne. In fact, all throughout, when there are glimpses of Eden, you'll see cherubim attached. So, for example, the tabernacle, when Israel's wandering the desert, they have cherubim on the walls in great banners as a sign and a remembering that it guards the throne. When they have the temple in Israel, they have them etched onto the walls. Have, how many of you guys have seen um, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. Good. You know, this is my best chairman impression, when they're on the ark and their wings are outstretched and they're touching. Have you remember that part when you see the ark and they're outstretched touching? Those are cherubim that are symbolically guarding. This is where we get the winged imagery for angelic beings. So they're not angels in the sense that we'll explain in a second, but they are angelic spiritual beings. If you want to blow your mind, go read Ezekiel 10 and then try to draw it. <laughs> it is, it's like, what? <laughs> it is crazy. It's amazing. There's like these wheels and multiple spinning wheels, and each has eyes, and the cherubim have wings, and the cherubim mount up, and then the wheels come along with them, and they're spinning, and then they're also kind of on fire. And I, I can't even imagine being Ezekiel being like, no one's going to believe me when I write this. Like, you're just doing your best, but you're like, they're going to think I'm crazy. I'm definitely getting stoned for this one. It's fascinating. Go check it out. But this is where we get the idea of them being winged people. Not tiny babies. You know where we get tiny babies from? When uh, in uh, Greece and Rome, actually, they had these things called puti, which is a terrible name. Uh, and they would, uh, it was after the god Eros in Greece or Cupid in Rome, and they would often inscribe them on the sarcophaguses of dead people. And so when people were fleeing from persecution and they dwelt mostly in places where there were sarcophaguses, these were images that were standardly, they were on the walls. And so they began to adapt them, and then they kind of moved into medieval painting in a whole kind of materialistic, weird sense. But they're not tiny, tiny babies. They're terrifying beasts with, like, faces of lions and wings and claws. I'm thinking tails. They don't say tails, but it'd be crazy if it didn't have a tail, right? I don't know. So that's cherubim. The other one is seraphim. Someone say seraphim. Seraphim. Again, I'm just reading to you Scripture, and I don't want to take it any farther than the Scripture says. But the seraphim, Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He's on the throne. And it says, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. The one who called to one another, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Seraphim created by God to worship God. Now, I'm going to do my best here, but i got to draw six wings. One, two, three. One, two, three. And then it, he has feet, and he has arms, maybe a head, but it's also kind of serpent-like. So that's kind of what we get. <laughs> um, but this is the seraphim. Now, when they talk about the seraphim, they talk about how the word seraph means serpent-like. It also means bright, like the bright morning star. And when we talk together in, I think, two weeks about Lucifer, the word Lucifer comes from the word bright, because the word Lucifer is not in Scripture, but the word the Satan is, and that comes from the serpent-like nature. And if you remember Bible school, you remember someone convinced Eve to eat an apple, and he looked very serpent-like, which actually the word also means very bright or burnt or glorious, or all these other things. We'll get there. 
seraphim. Okay, everyone's still with me. Are you still with me? Okay, I know that was a lot. But now, but now, but now, but now, but now, but now. Now we're going to get to angels. Okay, I'm going to draw angels here. Boop. Boom. Those are good angels. If y'all need me to make you a Christmas tree topper, let me know. It's going to be abstract and accurate. <laughs> angels, a very part, important part of the spiritual realm. Look, look where I've put them here. This is very important. Because they are messengers between God and us. In fact, the word angel is just the Hebrew word malak, which is the Greek word agalos, which translated to English is angels. The word is literally, and I don't use that word very often, but literally messenger. So when you're driving today, my wife said, why doesn't Scripture just say messenger? If the word is literally messenger, why not say messenger? And it's because in interpretation, we want to make sure that we're, what word we're using is actually understood and what it's meant to be. Because this, this messenger isn't just Gary down the road, right? It's not just like Craig who has your address and keeps coming over to tell you you need to cut your hedge, people with HOAs. Right? You know what I'm talking about. They're the worst. Um, no, these are angelic figures, angelic beings that come from God. So here's a definition, if you're taking notes, of angels. Angels are heavenly beings whose function is to serve God and execute His will. They are heavenly beings whose function is to serve God and execute His will. So I got some good questions. I asked uh, on Instagram. I was like, hey, who's got questions about angels? I'm very curious. I want to know, what do people want to know? Because I got books and books and books. I have one book that's just 100 questions about angels, so we could be here forever. But I think it's important to say culturally, what, what do we really need to know about angels? And biblically, most importantly, what do we need to know about angels and why? So let's start with, where did angels come from? It's like the spiritual, where did babies come from? Where did angels come from? Well, angels have been with Elohim, been with God, since the beginning of the universe. When Scripture said that God created the heavens, it, it's meaning profoundly supernatural, that God created all things, and that includes angels. Angels were created by God. And angels were present at creation. How do we know that? Well, Job 38, 4 says, when God is speaking to Job, says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He says, two, labels two different people. He says, the morning stars. I just told you that sometimes uh, angels were referred to as bright or morning stars, sometimes seraphim bright. But often in ancient cultures, they referred to angels as bright morning stars as a symbolic representation of who they are. And then the sons of God, which I talked to you about the council. But they were at creation. They were present at creation. God created angels. Last week, if you were here, Jamin gave an amazing description of what spiritual beings and angels are. And that, that's the question I got a lot. What are they? I mean, like, not fundamentally, like, do they wear robes or wings or whatever, but what are they? What are they made out of? What are they? What, what are they? What are they? How do we explain them? And I, this is a great explanation. They are bodiless spirits created by God with intelligence and free will who can carry God's message to humans, can assume bodies as we would assume costumes, are capable of influencing our thoughts and imaginations, though they're not permitted to violate our free will. We're going to talk about free will in a moment. 
There are many different types of supernatural beings, and some of these beings have rebelled against God and now actively work against the good of human beings. So the first question that I got a lot is, do they have bodies, right? They're bodiless spirits. Then how do we see them? If they're bodiless, how do we see them? Are they just tricking our mind? Is anytime someone sees an angel just like an illusion and they their their mind is being, you know, tricked or deceived or something? And the answer is no. Angels do not have natural bodies because they're not made of matter like we are made, right? And you're like, well, then how can we perceive them? Because you can perceive all kinds of things that are not composed of matter. For instance, perspective. Perspective is an idea. Like, how do you compose an idea out of natural matter? You can have thoughts and synapses, but abstractly, perspective, motive, describing personality to somebody. There's lots of things. But in Scripture, we know that angels assume bodies. Not They, they don't possess them. They take the form of as someone... Um, wearing a costume. So in the show Supernatural, he like comes down and takes some poor guy's body and then like leaves him later and the guy's like, oh, I guess I should go back to my family. He has like no idea what happened. That's not a thing. <laughs> they assume bodies as we would assume a costume. The example in scripture would be this. Uh, two angels came to Sodom and Gomorrah, kind of famously destroyed cities. And as they're going into the city, Lot notices something about them, and he begins to encourage them to come into his home because he's very curious. If you saw two slightly angelic, for lack of a better word, looking people, and you're like, these people look interesting, they had a thing in ancient culture where they would they'd want to invite them in. They want them to bless them, bless their home, all kinds of things. But he invites them in. In Genesis 19.3, says, He pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread, and they ate. Okay, so angels can eat food. Like, well, maybe it was angelic food, and they made the angelic food, and they switched it, and they did this. Like, can we just be honest and say, if they're flipping angels, they can figure out how to eat food, right? Like, they came from a supernatural realm to encounter our realm, but they're like, oh, no, not bread, right? Like, we're going to bring fire down on the city and suck it into the depths of the earth for their demon worship. But, like, bread? Woo! Like, Lord, help me with this tortilla. You sent us not into what we didn't know. No, they ate, right? Because they're, <laughs> they're supernatural. So we know that, in a sense, angels can assume bodies and physically interact with the place. They can walk with people. They can talk with people. We see in the New Testament all the time, guys are walking, and then it's like they reveal themselves to be an angel, right? After the crucifixion, we see that there's a glorious reveal, and also there's just a walking, and it's like even, even Jesus is walking uh, with, and, and they're like, oh, they mistook him for the gardener, right? There's a, kind of this reveal of their supernaturalness. But they can assume bodies, and they interact with people in a material sense. Some of somebody asked me, they said, okay, so if they can assume bodies and they're individual people, or they're, sorry, they're individual beings, do they have names? Do angels have names? Um, yes, as far as we know, there are some angels with names. You gotta be so careful not to take it past where Scripture shows us. So there's some Scripture that says, obviously, we're, we're told uh, Michael, uh, the name of one of the princes or uh, the angelic beings is Michael, and another one is Gabriel, famously brings, you know, the message to Mary. Gabriel. They do have names, but what's crazy about their names is their names actually all point back to God, too, because their na names mean things like declare his glory or for unto him it's done, things like that. Okay, how about do angels have free will? We have free will. Do angels have—can angels disobey God? Can angels sin? 
Well, the answer is yes. Uh, Revelation 12.4 tells us very poetically that a third of the morning stars, remember, angelic beings were swept into the deep because of their rebellion against God. Well, in order to rebel, you have to have free will, right? Like, I know AI's gone a long way, but, like, if you program it to not disobey you, it can't. Like, I, I know we have the matrix. But the reality is angels have free will. Now, those angelic beings who reside with Elohim have made a good choice to obey him. But we also know that some have rebelled against him. And that's why we have these angelic figures, these other figures over here, that we would call demons or principalities of darkness or whatever. You know, they're going to look scarier. Oh, we'd also have, I'll put Satan down here. He's going to be the big one. So we know that they have free will. And importantly, angels and demons can work to influence us, but they cannot overcome our free will. Now, we're not talking about possession or things like that. We're very clearly talking about influence. And so in Scripture, they can influence our free will, sometimes very strongly. Because remember, supernatural or supernatural. So they can supernaturally influence us, but they cannot turn us into robots to follow their commands. So that's what they don't do. Let's talk about what do angels do. Okay, if this is the format, and these are these angels, and they're different from them, and trust me, we'll talk about this. It's going to blow your mind. Uh, what do these guys do? Okay, ten things real quick. Angels worship God. Angels worship God. If you're taking notes, I recommend it. Write that down. Angels worship God. Revelation 5, 11, Awesome verse. It says, Then I looked around, and I heard around the throne the living creatures, the elders, and the voice of many angels, myriad and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is what's awesome. Everything that God has created, its goal is to worship God. Did you know that? You, angels, all the spiritual beings, we were created to worship God. But because of sin, we separated from our purpose to worship God. So angels in Scripture are a reminder of the restoration that will come through the perfect man so that we might be restored to worshiping in the freedom for all eternity. Did you know this is your destiny to worship with the most profoundly indescribable and amazing supernatural beings for all eternity? Like in ways you can't even begin to comprehend. People say like, well, I don't really like singing. I don't think you're going to have to be worried. I think it's going to be amazing. But it reminds us, you were created for great purpose. Angels are a reminder, you were created for great purpose. You were created for great relationship. You were created for great worship. Second thing, angels are warriors. Someone say warriors. Warriors. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word and obey the voice of his word. Revelation 12.7 says, now war arose in heaven. Michael, I talked about, one of the angelic figures, we know his name, the archangel Michael, and his angels fighting against the dragon or the serpent or the bright morning star, the symbolic representation of the Satan. 
says, and the dragon and his angels fought back. It's interesting. In, uh, in the, the book of Daniel, we get some of the best revelations about angels and uh, their connection to us. Daniel 10, 12 says, he said to me, this is an angel, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Oh, man, I wish we had so much time that I could explain this, but you have to be here when I tell you what the kings and princes of Persia and Greece are. It's awesome. But what we do know is they are warriors. This is what I think is important. So, so important. Angels, angels are warriors, but they're fighting God's battle. See, God doesn't need them for victory, but, but we do. And so God sends his angels to do battle for us. It says, since the moment you were praying, a battle has been going on. And I just want to remind you that Christianity is about a supernatural relationship. And there is a supernatural battle occurring. But God has not made angels these fluffy clouds of nothingness, Italian restaurant, bathroom babies with harps. He has made them warriors to do battle. And you're like, well, maybe that's Old Testament. No, that, that's New Testament, that's Old Testament, and that's now Testament. The, the angels are warriors, and they do battle in the Spirit. If you believe in the Word of God, then hear what I'm saying. Let he who has ears, let him hear today. Okay, third thing. Are you still with me? Good. Okay, angels protect us. Psalm 91:11. for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I love 2 Kings 6. Uh, Elisha is in the city and a nation comes and surrounds the people. And they're like, oh my gosh, we are going to get destroyed. We do not have enough warriors. We do not have enough people. We're, we're going to absolutely get demolished. And, and the, uh, the servant gets up and, and says, Master, what are we going to do? Elisha, what are we going to do? We are surrounded. And Elisha says in verse 16 in 2 Kings 6, he says, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Did you know that there are angels all over the place, and yet it is often our eyes here that are closed to their reality? And so Elisha says, open your eyes and see. Matthew 18, let's take it New Testament then. I'm going to keep going old and new so that you see this is not just a thing that's past. This is a thing for now. Matthew 18, 10 says, See that you not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels, their angels, always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. This has kind of led people to develop like a guardian angel um, theology. I, I think that's really tricky when you start getting into that. But what we do know is that angels protect us. Think about that. God is for us, and he has spiritual beings who are protectors for us. Why? Because he actually cares about you. I don't know if you knew that. God actually cares about you and your life. He cares about what's happening. That's why the next thing, angels observe us and know us. Angels observe us and know us. 1 Corinthians 4, 9, when speaking of his own suffering, Paul says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as the last of all like, uh, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. 
I think of uh, Job 1. Job is a fascinating book, but the beginning of Job, it says that, uh, that, that Satan comes before, the devil comes before um, God, Elohim, and his host, and is like, hey, have you seen this guy, Job? And they were kind of like, basically, like, of course we've, of course we've seen him. There's none like him. Well, of course they've seen him because they observe us. Daniel 4.13 says, I saw visions in my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down for heaven. This is what's awesome. Angels and angelic beings are observing us, but why are they observing us? Because they're reflecting a God who knows what's going on in your life, who deeply, deeply cares about you. They're only doing what he says, which means God cares enough about you that the whole supernatural realm is observing your life. I know that's mind-blowing. I'm not expecting you to like be like, oh, okay, cool, but, but you need to understand it's Scripture. So if you're like me, and you believe in the Word of God and that it's true, then this is true, that God sees you, knows you, cares about you, protects you, and guides you, and He has sent supernatural beings to do the same. It's cooler than a motorcycle. It's supernatural. Okay, angels... Not only protect us, deserve us, and know us, but they give us directions from God. Let's just go full New Testament here since you believe me. I'm going to give you some of our church heritage here. Here we go. Acts 5, verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Think on this. This is so important. We have written off angels to weird antiquity, but... The future of the church is linked in a history of angelic activity. Right? Peter, Paul, guys are freed, restored. Barnabas, freed by angels. This is not eternity ago. It's a long time ago. But this is a part of our heritage as a church is angelic beings. We've written it off to like weird Aunt Miranda over here in the corner talking about angels and gold dust and gold figures and wings, but the reality is powerful moves of the supernatural have been occurring since Christ said, the church is my bride, and I establish it, and I fill it with my Holy Spirit, and I believe for a movement to move. God has been using supernatural forces to transform His church in powerful ways, to deliver to direct. Acts 8 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. God is still using angelic beings to direct and guide his church. Some of the greatest movements in the church have been guided by the appearance of angelic figures. Okay. Angels deliver God's people. Angels deliver God's people. Are you still with me? Good. Angels deliver God's people. Acts 12. I'm keeping it in Acts so you see this is a part of our church, meaning you and I, we are the church. This is a part of us. This is not abstract from us. This is not separate than us. This is us. If we believe what God said in the Bible, if you believe it about prayer or worship, if you believe it about salvation, then I think you should believe it about angels too. Angels deliver God's people, Acts 12, 5. So, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Peter was in prison. He was bound with chains and centuries before the door regarding the prison. It says in verse 7, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. 
And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. I love this. Did you know that Banner Church is just one church in the long history of churches that are in a long history of God moving in powerful ways and delivering his people? That Banner Church, we are just one church in a history and a testimony of angelic activity of God delivering and rescuing and saving and transforming lives in every way you can imagine. Okay, this, this one's important, but I need you guys to give me lots of grace on it. Can you do that? Okay. I'm going to preach to you scripture, and if you get mad at me, you just yell at your Bible later. Okay? Good. <laughs> Angels are agents of divine judgment. Acts 12, 21. Same Herod right here. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took a seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down. New Testament, guys. New Testament. <laughs> Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. God was done with that dude. It's so hard in the age that we live in because we just hate the idea of consequences. And so I hear all the time, like, well, you can't judge me. And you're right. I can't judge you. But God will. I'm thankful that it's not my job to judge anybody in this church. Not my job to judge you. But God will, and he will judge your heart according to his word. And scripture tells us he will use angels to do it. Matthew 13. Again, New Testament, y'all. 49 says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, angels do what God tells them to do. They are messengers, but they're all also messengers of his divine judgment. There must be justice if there is to be God in his perfect sense, right? God is about the restoration of this relationship. But if you choose not to be a part of that, or you choose to define your own part that is anti or opposite of his definition, he will judge according. Someone hold up a Bible, and, and you'll know what I'm talking about. He sends him as part of his divine judgment. Now, I hope you've been here long enough to hear us all preach on grace and mercy so you don't, like, get angry. Send me some message. Be like, this is what church is about. You're always judging. Nope, we're not. But it's my job to tell you that he will. He will. Say, so, well, I don't like this. I, yeah, man, sucks to suck, but like, I don't make the rules. He will. But on a positive note, angels bring messages from God. Let's give the other side. What's like the most famous angel message? For unto you a child is born who will be, right, the hope for all nations. Jesus Christ, to restore this, to restore this place, to restore that relationship, that though we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that through Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the perfect Adam, that there will be restoration. He brings messages. Acts 27, 23 says, For this very night stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. I love this. God speaks through Scripture. God speaks through others. But sometimes God speaks through angels and angelic beings. Isn't that amazing? Like, he doesn't need to do it, but he does. He sends angelic beings to remind you that I'm a God of restoration. I'm a God to fulfill my promises. And though you might feel so far from 
the promise. I'm a restorer. I'm a renewer. I'm a hope bringer. I'm a peace bringer. I'm a life bringer. I'm a way maker like the song that we sing. I'm a way making God and I'm going to make a way and you might feel like garbage but doesn't matter. My hope and my peace are still the same to restore and renew you. I love that. Angels are messengers. We're going to talk more about the greatest message and the restoration that he's ever brought. But man, as much as we say, yeah, they're agents uh, of judgment, most importantly, they're messengers from God who bring the message of the gospel, the good news of hope and restoration for all people. Okay, final two things. Man, you can come up. Everyone's still good. You still with me? Good, okay. Final two things. Angels strengthen us. If you're taking notes, right? Angels strengthen us. I love this one. Jesus is in the garden, and uh, this, man, this gets me fired up. It's such a powerful moment. He's in the garden, and he knows what he has to do. The perfect, spotless lamb knows that he has to be brutalized and beaten and tortured and crucified. He knows that he has to descend to hell. He knows that he's going to defeat the enemy to crush and wipe out Satan, and that he is going to return with the keys of life. He knows that, but he is in anguish about it because he is fully God and fully man. I can't get the fully God part, but being fully man, I can tell you I would be freaking out. And he's in anguish in this moment, and he begins to sweat and cry, and blood begins to come out of his body and his pores. And it says, Luke twenty-two forty-three, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven to strengthen him. Thank you, Lord. Daniel 10, 17 says, in this really, really real moment of Daniel, it says, how can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, I'm just so beat. I don't even know what I would pray to God for. Like if you're just being so real with God, you're like, God, I know. I know my small group. I know Pastor Josh that we're supposed to pray and go before him. But like, I, I I do not want to go to press this night. I don't want to pray. I, I don't even know what I would say. I'm just so beat. I'm so weak. I'm so exhausted. It says in verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man. It said he touched me and he strengthened me. I love that. Who can strengthen you when you're worn out beyond all comprehension, when the weight of the world? you got to think, Daniel, he's dealing with the extermination of his people. If you think like you're worried about your political party, just imagine. Some people do live in that sense of fear, feeling like they're under attack for who they are and what they look like. Daniel's there, and he's worn out. And it says, an angel touches me and restores me. I love that about our Lord. I don't know if you've been in that place. I'm not saying God will send an angel, but I'm saying that he can. And I'm saying that because Scripture tells me that he does. Final thing, angels appear to us without knowing. This is crazy. This will keep you, like, really focused in. Angels appear to us without knowing. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Wow. Angels appear to us without knowing. Some have entertained angels unaware. When we read that scripture often, we're like, oh yeah, it's probably that guy on the street corner. You know what it's more likely? It's more likely that person that because of your situation of life, you might overlook or go past 
But if we would open our hearts spiritually, we might see something God wants to speak to us. And so my advice isn't to run around and be like, is there an angel over here? Is there an angel over here? Oh, that's an angel. This guitar's an angel. Maybe, one, maybe somebody in here is an angel. They could be. I don't know. No. <laughs> I'm just saying that we should have our heart and eyes open to the possibility of the supernatural that God clearly defines in his word. Because God has done some amazing things using his messengers, angels, agelos in this world. I've done a ton of research on angels lately. If you come to my house, you will see a lot of notepads. And uh, if you check my browser history, I would either look like really into this series or conspiracy theorists, one of the two. But in studying, I found this uh, doctor who was trying to really put together one of the most deep collections of uh, stories of angels and so, not, not a Christian doctor by any means, but just seeking out these stories, trying to understand the phenomenon, as she would call it. And uh, she went to Israel and interviewed a veteran of the Six-Day War who claimed to have met an angel. And in the battle for the Golan Heights, he said that his tank was hit by a Syrian shell, which sent him a couple feet away from his tank, and he was laying there, and he saw the forces coming towards him and the battalion coming towards him, and he just kind of knew, I'm done. And in that moment, the soldier says that a golden figure stepped between him and the forces. And in that moment, they fled. And he woke back up in the hospital because he passed out from his injuries. Woke back up. He's in the hospital getting treatment. And um, some UN forces and some doctors came around and they were interviewing him. And he was, um, uh, didn't want to share the story. Because let's be honest, if you saw an angel today, how many people would you be comfortable telling that story for fear that they would think you're now that crazy Christian? Right? Isn't that weird? Like, I literally have thousands of these scriptures, and yet it's still weird. Like, I got more scriptures about this than baptism. But this is the weird one. Well, it is kind of weird. That doesn't make it not true. <laughs> Anything we can't control we think is weird. But eventually he told them, the UN inspectors who were there, and as he relayed his experience, they were astonished because they had previously, as they were investigating the other side, so to speak, they encountered a battalion, a grouping of soldiers who claimed to have encountered a golden figure and were very concerned about what it meant as an omen for their mission. And so when they saw this golden figure, bright figure, they fled. I think it's interesting. I think sometimes we're so caught in the natural that we forget there's a supernatural. Even as Christians, man, even as Christians, we believe in an almighty God and a trinity. We believe in a salvation and a restoration. But for some reason, if it gets outside of that really small box, even though that's like the most amazing and insane and incredible thing, it's like we're like, only this, nothing else. It's like really, the most profound spiritual thing and nothing else? But man, can I just encourage you that the relationship that God has called you to is profoundly supernatural, is profound, is powerful, is beautiful, it's even mysterious. Sometimes we're in such an effort for control that we wipe out the mystery of our life. But the gospel is profound and mysterious and beautiful and amazing. God has invited us into a supernatural relationship.
of which angels play a role. And I don't know what you need from the Lord today. I don't. But I do know that the Lord will provide it. You don't have to ask the Lord to send you an angel, but he might. He might send you one. He might intercede in that way. He might send a friend from your small group. He might send a miracle in the mail. He might speak to you directly. Or he might send an angel to you to direct you, to guide you, to comfort you, to protect you, to fight for you, to bring a message of hope to you. He's already sent you the Holy Spirit, but he might send you even more because our God is a generous giver. The question is, like the young servant on the wall with Elisha, are you willing to open your eyes and ask God to open your eyes and your heart to the supernatural? It's not that it's not there, it's that we are so closed off to it. Are you willing to open your eyes to the supernatural relationship? It's fine if you want to leave it at cool, that's great. But can I tell you, it's so much more, it's supernatural, which means nothing in the natural is greater than what God can do in the supernatural. Nothing you're facing in the natural today is greater than the supernatural that God has. Nothing that this nation, nothing that this city, nothing that your family, nothing that your body, nothing that your mind is facing in the natural is greater than the supernatural. And you serve a God who constantly throughout history over and over and over has sent angelic and supernatural beings to say, I see you, I love you, I know you, I'm with you, I will protect you, I will guide you, I will direct you, I will strengthen you, and I will encourage you. And all I'm saying today is maybe let go of the control and just release your heart and say, God, would you open my heart, open my mind, and the eyes of my heart to see the supernatural, and just say, God, would you intervene in the way that only you can? Would you stand with me this morning? Before we worship, we're going to sing Waymaker. I love the song because the bridges, even when I can't see it, you're working. That's like one of my favorite bridges because it's such a declaration that runs so counter to the way we live most of our life. But it's so powerful. And I want to invite you, just bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close today. I know we got lots of things we got to discover. It's going to be awesome today. But I, before we jump into all that, before we jump into worship, I just want to pray for you. And if you're in this place and you're saying, God, help me to be aware of the supernatural. Open my heart to the immeasurable opportunity of this spiritual relationship. I just want to pray for you this morning. Pray, God, open our eyes to the supernatural that you're doing and that you continue to do. Open our hearts to the, just the immeasurable, expansive opportunity of this relationship. Jesus, to walk with you is to experience the freedom and the power of a new life. God, I ask today, strengthen us here this morning for those who need strengthening. Direct us here this morning, those that need direction. God, encourage us here this morning, those that need encouragement. God, speak to those who need to be called out into truth this morning in a supernatural way. God, I just pray for all those who are needing something that we live in the natural, are needing something supernatural today, a miracle from you. Encourage direction, counsel, protection, victory. I pray that you would command your angels concerning us. And as we worship, our prayer is, God, we believe that your word is true and we stand on the truth of your promises. And so I pray today that we would trust you, that we would surrender completely to you, and that in receiving the love you have given, that in turn we would love you. And I pray this morning, God, that we would walk fully in that supernatural relationship that you have called us to.
We worship you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment and worship the Lord together.